It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Yesterday, in Racine County... There was a horrible situation that would have been much, much worse were it not for the incredible bravery of a true hero, a 21-year-old, 21-year veteran of the Racine County Sheriff's Department. If you haven't been following the story, it's, it's amazing. What happened, it started out about 7.30 in the morning um, yesterday, um, at, at, and right off the freeway, there's a, a gas station. It's it's the Pilot Travel Center, and it's it's like it's a truck stop is how I would describe it. Lots of lots of gasoline pumps, real busy. People coming and going. Apparently, what what happened is there's there's a young man, a 22 year old Elkhorn man, who's gassing up his car. And that's that's what he's doing. I, don't know, I assume he's on his way to work or whatever. And this there is a video of this that has not been released yet. But you have a 32 year what they now are describing as a 32 year old guy who who comes up and essentially is laying in wait for this particular for somebody. And he goes up and and it's it's being described as an execution style slaying. Boom. But I don't think there's any connection between the shooter and the the victim. It was just a, a target of opportunity. So then what happens is the man is shot dead. The shooter um, looks through his pockets, I think takes some stuff from him, initially gets in his car, that would be the victim's car, to try to drive off, and for whatever reasons decides he's not going to take that. He then fires shots at another vehicle that's at this pilot truck stop. By now, people are hearing gunshots, everybody's freaking out. Then the shooter gets in his own car and <clears throat> starts driving, or at least the car that he came in, and starts driving east, you know, down, down the road, heading for for Racine. You know, um, ultimately that becomes like Northwestern Avenue. And then what the shooter does is he stops at another gas station. This time, a mobile station. You know, within a mile or so, or two miles of, of where the initial shooting had occurred. And what he finds is a, another man that's filling up his car. And in what appears to be, again, just a completely and totally random act by an absolute maniac, you have the the shooter, the person who's already murdered somebody back at the pilot uh, gas station. Now, what he does is, is he goes after this person who is filling up his car at the, the mobile station. Well, what the shooter does not know is the fact that this isn't just an, an ordinary person who is filling up his car. Rather, this is a Racine County Sheriff's deputy who, who's an undercover officer who's, you know, on, I think he's on his way to work, but he, he's filling up the, the car for, for the day. He's not in uniform, but nevertheless, he's armed because he's an undercover officer. What happens is there, there's a gun battle. <clears throat> the officer is shot once or twice, and the officer shoots and kills the, the maniac. 
Now, I, I say maniac because I think that's the word that the sheriff had used as well. That we, we still don't know what the motive behind this particular shooting was, if there was a, a motive. The sheriff is saying, and I think he's absolutely correct in his remarks, that it was the activities of the undercover officer, who, who again, you know, wasn't responding to a call. He was just in, as it turns out, to be the, the right place at the right time. He was the, the victim of this attack. But the sheriff is making the point that if if the shooter had not made the decision to attack, in this case, an undercover police officer. If he had killed the police officer like he killed the guy back at the pilot station, it's clear he was on he was on a homicidal real rampage. Who knows how many people, how many more people, whether individuals at the mobile station or at some other gas station. I mean, this guy appeared to be headed for, for you know, Racine proper. Who knows how many more people would have been killed by this homicidal maniac were it not for the intervention of the, the undercover police officer. And I think it's, I mean, I, I think it's, it's very, very fair to say that this, as horrible as this was, it could have been a lot worse. You know, interestingly, according to the, the sheriff, you know, when he went to see the, the sheriff's, when he went to see the undercover police officer in the hospital, the, the first question that the guy asked was, Sheriff, <clears throat> did I hit anybody who was innocent? You know, that that was his concern that in the, this shootout with the homicidal maniac, the officer, his first concern was, did, did somebody else get, get hurt other than the, the person who, you know, this we, we were intended for this gun battle? I, I, I lead off the show with this story because I think it's so very important. We hear so much in the media on a daily basis about the alleged excesses of police officers. Oh, you know, look, look, look at what this police officer did, or this police officer is alleged to, have, alleged to have treated somebody rudely when they pulled them over. This police officer is alleged to have alleged to, you know, have had an attitude or, or whatever, or, or maybe there was, you know, too much force used, or, or we don't believe that we should have been stopped in the first place. And, and, and I understand that when things like that happen, there are legitimate concerns and complaints, and, and, and I guess it's fair to air them. At the same time, though, I think we need to highlight things like this. Here is just the truth. If it were not for the fact that this was a plainclothes police officer who was attacked by this homicidal maniac and through his training and experience and ability and willingness to put his life on the line, he took out the maniac. He took out the shooter. And were it not for his actions, it is clear, at least in my mind, that many, many more people would have been dead. And if you were in that area, if you were at one of the gas stations, who knows how many more people this guy intended to kill because he was clearly starting a rampage and was only overhauled by the swift action of of a police officer. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. These, I think, are the stories that need to be told, the stories of the bravery, the stories of the dedication uh, that you, you see on a daily basis from those people who protect and serve. And, you know, whenever we have these conversations about, well, we need to defund the police, we're, we're down three, four, five hundred police officers, that's 
good. We need to replace the people with folks who can come in and try to reason with folks. And all right, maybe there's a certain role for that. But, you know, when you've got a homicidal maniac who's driving, you know, through Racine County, shooting people indiscriminately, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that there is a police officer who is there to intervene and to stop the threat. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I wish elected officials, instead of kowtowing to some of the loud voices, the loudest voices in the community, who want to view the police as an occupying force or the police as this evil sort of entity, would think about stories like this and recognize where would we be were it not for cops. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so we're talking about this story where you would have had, I, I believe, clearly countless people dead. Homicidal maniac on a rampage in, in Caledonia, northern Racine County yesterday, stopped only because the second person that he chose to attack turned out to be a plainclothes police officer. A number of people are saying, how's the officer? Um, he was shot at least once, um, but but he will survive. The, the, the sheriff describes him as, as, as doing well. I think he's still in the hospital. And, and my point is, I wish we would tell more of these stories, because I understand there's this narrative out there that the cops are, are evil, and we don't want to fund the police, and the world would be a better place if there weren't all these cops that were out there. And this is the type of thing that really makes you think about that because, you know, the truth is if if there wasn't a plainclothes police officer at this mobile gas station yesterday, there is no question that lots more people would be dead. So to start that off, here, here's one of the texts that I, I, I received. We get countless texts, but here's one. Jeff, this was an amazing case, an incredible job by the officer. All right, we agree with that there after that. But then the texter writes, unfortunately, these cases are few and far between, and the cases like George Floyd greatly outnumber them. Unfortunately, cases like the, the hero police officer yesterday are few and far between, and cases like George Floyd greatly outnumber them. So there, there's at least, and, and I, I bring this up because I, I'm sure in this case you, you've got this texture. I don't know. Now, I, I think that that's, I think that's crazy. But but you know that there are some people out there. Look, and I look at the George Floyd case, and I said all along, I mean, I think this was an example of police misconduct, and I certainly think that the police officer involved deserved to be prosecuted and deserved to be convicted. But this idea that on a regular basis that you have police officers on a daily basis that are out there violating people's civil rights, attacking people, assaulting people, killing people, and that that is apparently the rule, not the exception. How do people get that thinking? And how twisted is that type of thinking to say, okay, well, because I'm here to tell you, at least in my opinion, and I think people who've worked in law enforcement will will describe that, that they're there are bad apples in every business. It, it, it doesn't matter. And yes, 
Yes, you have bad people in law enforcement as well. But as a general, and maybe law enforcement needs a better to do a better job collectively of of weeding out the, those handful of bad apples. But this idea that people would have to suggest that the vast majority of cops are bad cops and that the hero cops are the exception to the rule, you just, you, I just find myself shaking my head at that notion that folks would would believe that and and I don't know if that's been a media creation I don't know if that's a political viewpoint that gee, we, we want to view the cops as evil we want to have um, we, we want to pretend that we don't have problems with crime and we want to pretend that the police are in fact the problem you know yesterday I was telling a story we were um, we, we were talking about the crime statistics that continue to just skyrocket in Milwaukee. And somebody had texted in and talked about how their son had been beaten up and robbed at gunpoint the other night a couple blocks from the Deer District. And, you know, was and and the, the I, I shared that I shared the text on the on the air. And then um, she texted me back and said, but the one thing I want to add is how great the police and the EMTs were. Um, said her, her son's you know, nose was broken because he was hit with a, with the butt of a pistol after he was robbed and things like that. But but that the police response, you know, they, they took the information. They didn't catch the guys. That's unfortunately the problem nowadays. There's so many of these people that are out there that you rarely do catch them. But the EMTs were responsive. The police were responsive. See, that's the attitude and that is the reality that's out there instead of, oh, my gosh, these cases are few and far between. Um, Jeff, here's a text. Um, that, And this is what this particular text, I think, highlights w- what really should should hit home with people. Jeff, I live in Racine County. I start my morning off at that pilot gas station um, sometimes, but I didn't go there yesterday. I am so grateful for this officer because this could have, in fact, been me, right? And for all the anti-cop folks that are out there, that's that's one of the other things that gets lost. And it's one of the reasons I, I talk on this program a lot about crime because it, it it could be you. You know, you had the story a couple of weeks ago where you had the 16-year-old with the two 12-year-olds in the car driving the stolen car down Good Hope Road at like 70, 80, 90 miles an hour running red lights, and they end up going and driving down the wrong side of the, the road. So they're going into oncoming traffic, hit and slam into a car coming the other way. The 16-year-old driver ends up killed. A couple other people, you know, end up in the hospital. That could have been anybody. That's like nine o'clock at night. That that's that is why it is so important to get a handle on crime, and it's why it is so important to recognize that the police are not our enemies. And some of these politicians who've decided to pander to certain segments of their constituency. Because that's the message that they think they want to hear. Well, all right, it's fine to do it, but then, then. You know, tell me what the solution is, especially when you're looking at maniacs on the streets, like this case in Racine yesterday shows, or the crime rates that are going absolutely through the roof. Now, this guy was a hero, and for everybody out there who's part of the defund the police crowd, I'm telling you, you need to wake up before it's too late. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. All right. Think you've got a bad travel story? 
be lucky you weren't on the flight from you know where. Okay, here's here's the the deal. Um, the other okay Monday night, you've got people who are leaving Las Vegas. Got a plane full of people, 160 people on a plane. They're flying from Las Vegas to Stockton, California. It is a one hour flight or it's supposed to be a one-hour flight. So here's what happens. Plane takes off on time. All right, so you've got this plane full of people. They're heading from Vegas. They get to the Stockton Airport, and they can't land. The pilot comes on and says the control tower is closed. Okay, and and the pilot can't get a hold of anybody on the ground in Stockton. So the rules say they can't land without a weather report. Um, and apparently what, what happened is there's a visibility sensor that is part of the airport's weather reporting system that okays planes to land and, and it was, it was, it was not working. So the, the sensor is not working. So that means they've got to get like a live report. That's what the FAA rules are. And the control tower was closed. <laughs> and 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 whatever I say is like, how can the control tower be closed when you've got you know a, a plane full of people coming in from Las Vegas? But it's closed, so the sensor isn't working, and there's nobody at the control tower to clear the plane to land. So the plane decides, okay, we, we've got no choice here. We're not allowed to land. We're going to turn around and we're going to go back to Vegas. So they turn around and they head back to Vegas. Problem is, there's thunderstorms in Vegas. Big big butt thunderstorms, zero visibility. So now you're in the situation where you've, okay, you, you can't land where you're supposed to in Stockton because there's nobody in the control tower and the systems are broken. You've gone back to Las Vegas. You can't get in because there's a monster thunderstorm going on and zero visibility. So at that point in time, you know, now they're starting to worry about, hey, the, how much gasoline do we have in the plane and stuff like that? So what they then do is they turn around again and this this time they fly to Los Angeles and they land at, at LAX. They're able to land there. Okay, well the problem is, you know, it's it's now two, three o'clock in the morning. They, they let the people off the plane and they put them in a holding room at, at LAX. But they tell they tell the people you're you're stuck in this room. You cannot leave. What's worse is there's no bathroom access in the holding room. So now you have 175 people who are now in Los Angeles in a room, not being allowed to leave, and there's no bathrooms. All right, at this point in time, apparently the airlines, then what they do is they come up and they give people $250 hotel vouchers. They they give them vouchers, okay? It's not like 3 o'clock in the morning. But the problem is, with this, they don't make any arrangements for hotels it's not like hey you know we've got you know we've got rooms that we've booked for you at the holiday and down the way they say here are these vouchers but you're on your own <laughs> so you've got these people it's three o'clock in the morning they've been back and forth on the plane trip from you know where they've got these vouchers but it's like okay it's your job at three thirty in the morning or whatever to call some hotel and figure out you know that whether or not they will let you stay at the particular place. Uh, so the bottom line of all this is that uh, the next day the flight was rescheduled, um, and they were allowed to fly, and everybody ultimately got home. But what was supposed to be a one-hour flight ended up taking 17 hours. So next time you have your travel problems, at least you weren't on this flight from uh, Las Vegas to Stockton. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
it should not have come to this. The saga of Al Morales is apparently coming to a conclusion, and it's it's a sad reflection on the state of affairs in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's a sad reflection on some of the political leadership in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it's unfortunately a, a chapter in this city's history that they need to figure out a way to get past. Now, the bottom line as we start off this off is that crime in the city is out of control. And on an almost daily basis, I, I look, the Milwaukee Police Department has this crime reporter registry that I refer to a lot. And it, it's got a, a up to the minute, or at least up to the day, list of the different crimes that are going on. And in most categories of crime, last year was a record year. And this year, in most categories, is exceeding that. So you, you have this, and in fairness to the city, other urban areas are going through the same thing. But that doesn't make it any any better. And... That's the numbers are the numbers. But as we frequently talk about on this program, there's a real crime victim. I mean, there's there's a person behind every assault, behind every robbery, behind every car theft. There's there's a real world victim. And I think a lot of times we just like to think of it in terms of of numbers. Oh, look, the numbers are up. And and that's 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 dramatic. But you really want to focus on and think about the effect this has on, on people, whether it's. I was telling the story yesterday about whether it's the brother of somebody I know who was beaten up and pistol whipped a couple blocks from the Deer District when they were filling their car up with gasoline or the story the person who emailed me or texted me yesterday told about how her son was beaten up, you know, by the Northwestern Mutual building the other night. All all those things, there are real live victims behind these different numbers. And and while we've been dealing with this, you have leadership in the city of Milwaukee that that appears to be completely and totally out of control. I have said this before, and I know some people disagree with me, but that's okay. I believe former police chief Alfonso Morales was one of the best police chiefs that the city of Milwaukee has had in a long time. He was a local guy. He knew the community. He came up through the ranks of the police department. He wasn't the first choice of a lot of people, including, I believe, the the mayor. Um, He was kind of a consensus sort of choice. And then Al Morales made the mistake of getting on the wrong side of some powerful politicians because he was actually kind of anti-crime. You know, he, he intervened in some of the social justice protests to stop them from getting out of control, and that upset some loud voices in the community. Now, I think there was actually a small number of voices, but they scream really, really loud. So that got some politicians looking to undermine morale. You had members of the Fire and Police Commission. Four of the seven who chose to demote him are, are now gone, but seven of them voted to demote him. It's, I, I mean, even the city attorney agreed that the way they did it was in violation of due process, his due process rights. So they demoted him, and that ended up forcing him to re- resign. So there's been this lawsuit that's been hanging fire for, well, you know, going on a year now. The problem with the lawsuit being out there is it demanded that Morales be returned to his position. And so as long as you had that lawsuit out there, it was difficult to go ahead and and get a new permanent chief in and provide stability. Now, as I have said all along, I do not believe that Al Morales really wanted to go back to the Milwaukee Police Department. I mean, think about it. If you're if you didn't have the support 
really, of the mayor, of a lot of the elected officials, and of members of the Fire and Police Commission, even though there has been some turnover. If you didn't have that support before, why would you really want to go back into that situation? I mean, it's not like, gee, I filed a lawsuit. Now I've won that lawsuit. They're all going to be happy to have me back. No, you, you know that you would have had a target on your back, and you know that at least I think it's reasonable to believe that you would have folks doing everything they could to try to undermine you because they didn't want you in, in the first place. I think that's the reality of the situation that was out there. On top of it, things were made worse because after Chief Morales was essentially forced to resign, what happened is you had a couple interim chiefs that, that came in and they they made promotions. They elevated people that I, I don't think in some cases Chief Morales had any interest in working with or didn't think that they belonged in their jobs. So if Morales were to have gone back, you know, one of the first things that he would have done is he would probably, you know, made some switches, demoted some people who he didn't think deserved to be in the positions they're in. And that would set off another round of confusion at best, controversy at worst, you know, go figure. So the, the way this should have ended months ago is is a settlement and a cash payoff. Interestingly, I am told apparently Mayor Barrett, he would even, the city of Milwaukee hired lawyers. They had outside counsel who were sitting like negotiating this deal. And Barrett was actually, I'm told, at least in some cases, sitting in the meetings himself. And he was drawing a line in the sand. That's what the Journal Sentinel says today about, you know, how much money would, would be paid. This, this was always a case that needed to be settled because the parties were in an unworkable situation. Al Morales was legally entitled to have his job back, but that wouldn't have been good for him. It wouldn't have got, been good for the city. Um, because of the city's mishandling of this, you know, you, you've got to close the book on the Morales thing, but at the same time, you have to make him whole. So the announcement came out yesterday that the city of Milwaukee will be paying former Chief Morales Somewhere in the neighborhood of six hundred and twenty-five thousand bucks, five hundred grand I think goes to him, and then the others go for lawyer fees or or whatever legal fees and other expenses. So it's going to cost again the misconduct of the fire and police commission is going to cost the taxpayers of the city, you know, north of six hundred thousand dollars. They don't know where that money is going to come from. Maybe it's going to come from borrowing. Who knows exactly? But this was something all along that could have and should have been avoided. They should never have gone after Chief Morales in the first place. They should have never tried to undermine him. They should have never forced him out of the position. Like I say, I think he was one of the best police chiefs the city of Milwaukee has had in a long time. Once they made the decision to illegally demote him and force him out of the position, instead of fighting a lawsuit that it was inevitable that they were going to lose. And I don't you don't need to be Clarence Darrow to recognize that this was the city really had no leg to stand on. It was imperative to settle the silly thing as soon as possible so you can turn the page and and move on. And it was always going to cost a bunch of money. In addition, as part of this payment, my understanding is the separate federal lawsuit that Chief Morales had filed against the city, that's going to be dropped. So this is all wrapped up, you know, and and the book is closed and now the city can can move on i i just i hope that there's been some lessons that have been learned as we move forward lessons that the mayor has learned 
lessons that the Fire and Police Commission, like I say, I acknowledge that there are new members of the Fire and Police Commission there, but I hope they've learned from this, and that is that undermining the police chief, giving in to some of the loud complainers, some of the loudest, most shrill voices, either in this case in the Common Council or in the community, is not in the interest of the overall community. And hopefully, whoever the next police chief ends up being, people will support him. He will have tough anti-crime measures and will be able to turn around these appalling numbers so people feel that you can go back into the city of Milwaukee without having your car stolen, being one of those 30 cars a day that are stolen on the streets of Milwaukee, or without, if you stop to... I don't know, go to a gas station or something, you're, you're not going to be hit in the face with somebody carrying a gun. It's important to restore some sense of order. And I think the settlement with Chief Morales, while it should have been done a long time ago, it's good that it's happening now. It's good that we're going to turn the page. But I hope when they choose the next police chief, they don't say, well, we don't want somebody like Al Morales. Because, candidly, Al Morales was the solution to the problem, and they should have figured out a way to keep him. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I, I can already hear the sounds of heads exploding all across this country. Uh, in down in, in Florida, one of the one of the rising stars in the Republican Party is the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. Now, I, I don't I don't know if Donald Trump is going to run for election again in 2024. And if he does, and I, I, at the end of the day, I still don't think he's going to. But if he does, he'll obviously be a formidable candidate, at least for the Republican nomination. But there are other people that are out there who are you know, expressing interest or at least dipping their toe in the water. And, and one is is Ron DeSantis, who is the very, very popular governor of Florida. Now, DeSantis's claim to fame is that um, early on when the the country was zigging on COVID, he, he was zagging. You know, when, when the, the thought was, okay, we're going to close everything down. We're going to lock stuff down. DeSantis, you know, went, went the other direction. And, you know, what, what ended up happening is they um, – they, they moved away from mask mandates. They started opening up buildings. And, and what they found is that the, the numbers of COVID cases in, in Florida were not disproportionate to the numbers of COVID cases in other places that had a lot more draconian sort of restrictions. So Florida has been open for business for a lot longer. Now, that, that just that drives a lot of the people nuts. It just drives a lot of people nuts that you could even question this conventional wisdom of should we have locked everything down? But DeSantis ha- has done that. And so the, the latest thing that's going on is DeSantis has decided to, to take aim at, at Anthony Fauci. Now, on the program, today's Wednesday, on Monday, we, we did a topic about Fauci, and, and the way I led into it was hero or villain. And, and my answer was, was really neither. I, I think um, I think Dr. Fauci has made many valid points over the course of the last you know year plus, but I believe He's he's grossly overexposed. And I've been saying this for the better part of of a year. I think that he he has a a fondness for seeing himself on television. 
and the fact that he's really hurt his credibility by by doing interviews all the time. And he, I don't think he says no to anything. And what happens is he's he's become like the the big flip flopper of of the last year because he'll say one thing on a Sunday and that'll draw headlines and then three days later he'll go on some other news program and he'll say something that contradicts what he said on Sunday and and look and I appreciate that science changes for example I understand the initial advice with COVID was you, you don't need to wear masks because they didn't realize the, but the airborne capacity of it. And so I, I, I don't fault him for saying, okay, we don't need to wear masks, and now we do need to wear masks. I, that's, that's an evolution. But science doesn't evolve every couple days. And if you look at Fauci, it, it's almost every couple days. Plus, I think he has become very thin-skinned because he's, he's become a, a target with all the various flip-flopping and what I think is an over-reliance on restrictions. His response, I think, in general has been, let's close stuff down, which you, you understand perhaps coming from somebody who's looking at it purely from the medical perspective as opposed to like other having to consider other real-world ramifications. But, I mean, I don't think Fauci's a hero necessarily. I don't think he's a villain. I don't think he deserves to be vilified necessarily. But he, he makes himself, in my opinion, a target by his overexposure. And I think it's at the point now where, candidly, as we move to this next step in, in COVID, having having a different messenger to deliver the messages about where you know where do we where should we go moving forward without as much history baggage as whatever as Fauci would probably be a good thing but again because it's been so politicized any effort to make him step down or step back would be viewed by the left as giving in to the right and so I, I mean I understand where where we are but that's sort of how I feel about Fauci but anyhow uh, DeSantis is starting to raise money or is raising money for the gubernatorial run next year, and he, he's come out with various merchandise that is driving at least some people crazy. Apparently, he's um, they're they're now you can buy Desantis stuff and it's donations to the campaign. He's got drink koozies and T-shirts that say "Don't Fauci my Florida," <laughs> okay, and he's got uh, let's see some other stuff that's out there besides that they've got um face masks that um ask the question that DeSantis asked apparently how the hell am I going to be able to drink a beer with a mask on so um there's other stuff there's keep Florida free hats and red koozies that take aims at the face coverings and things of the like so um I I, I don't know love him or hate him um, Ron DeSantis, he's he's sort of escalating, you know, his his efforts to I think position himself as the the next Republican nominee and the next alternative. And and love him or hate him, Anthony Fauci continues to be one of the targets of that. Don't Fauci my Florida. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm not going to buy one, but it is it is sort of clever, and I understand how it might have an appeal to to certain certain people. So that's where we stand with all of this. Hey, when we come back after the news, I I, I want to talk about vaccines. There's a new move afoot to say, look, COVID numbers are starting to creep up. The number of people choosing to get vaccinated is not keeping up with the the numbers that they'd hoped. And there's a new push to say, okay, should we make vaccines mandatory? We're going to discuss that and a lot more. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Mike Spaulding, do you know what today is? In addition to the, um, of course, the, you know, the Game 4 of the NBA Finals, do you know what today is? Wednesday? Well, it is Wednesday. That <laughs> That is correct. But in other years, my guess is you would have known right away what today was. I, I have no idea. It's Bastille Day. Oh, my goodness. Today today is Bastille Day. Matter of fact, in Paris, they are celebrating this. Now, you would have known that because in normal years, Bastille Day, big deal around here. And I think it was probably tonight would have been like that, that storm, the Bastille run mm-hmm. that they do. That I believe they're, they're still trying to do something virtually. But no Bastille Days in 2021. So can you imagine if this had been... And again, I, I don't, I do not criticize organizers, you know, who had to make the decision months ago whether or not they were going to go ahead and how they could make the financing things work. And although I think knowing what we know now, it, it's unfortunate that they didn't put it together. But can you imagine what would have happened if this was an ordinary year and you've got the bucks and you've got all that stuff going on and then you've got the Bastille Day <laughs> thing? I mean, how, and you've got the big rainstorm perhaps coming through, but how cool would that have been? Yeah, it would have been awesome. And you know, a little rain kind of helps enhance a little bit of a party atmosphere too. So, you know, as long as there's no storms, it would be crazy. You know who's probably happy though is, is Milwaukee police. They would have had a busy <laughs> evening tonight. But. Um, exactly. Yes. Yeah, so this would have been, again, this is, uh, this would have been, it, this is Bastille Day. So, I mean, I think, uh, this would have been the storm of Bastille, but they say they are coming back in 2022. I always loved that event. Always it was, I used to work, you know, been another life. I'd work downtown and I loved being able to especially go out like for lunch and stuff mm-hmm. and you'd walk over there and you'd hang out. I, they always did a really nice job of that. That's the only 5K I've done is Storm the Bastard or whatever, however long the race is. It's the only organized race I've ever participated in. Okay. Well, good. It was fun. And you can train for next year then. Yeah, well, I'll get right on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good enough. I, just, it's, today, it, it is Bastille Day and we, we, we do forget about it. It's in for so many years and and I I bring that up because in in the summers summers around here are so crammed full of stuff that whenever anybody hear anybody says say that oh there, there there's nothing to do in southeast Wisconsin there's nothing to to do and you you got to go to these bigger cities to find things so it's kind of like well you know w- wait a second I mean hang out during the summer and let's I I acknowledge that the Bucks being in the NBA Finals is a once in a you know, 49 or 50 year sort of thing. But but even beyond that, there's so much stuff going on. I mean, typically, you know, we would at this point in time in the year, we'd be, we'd be coming off of, of Summerfest. I understand we've got Summerfest scheduled for September. We'd be coming off of Summerfest. We'd be looking at all the different ethnic festivals that would operate. We'd have all the church festivals that would be going on. We'd have Bastille Days and, of course, looking forward to State Fair. And State Fair is is still on. And, yes, the last I heard, and I'm pretty sure this is the case, we will be out there, and my show will be originating from State Fair many, if not all, of the different weekdays, kind of depending on what the sports schedule is. And we are certainly looking forward to that. All right, let's talk about vaccines for a moment. I was talking a little bit about, you know, uh, Anthony Fauci in the last hour and how he's become so very controversial. Well, here is the, the latest controversy, and I need to always say this at the beginning because this is a, I look at the texts and I end up getting hate texts from people on both sides of this issue. All right, here, here's where I come down on this. I do not have concerns with the vaccine. I am vaccinated. Don't send me texts saying you're going to die soon. You put this poison in your system. All right. I, you can believe that, that that's fine. 
I made the decision to get vaccinated, have at least at this point in time, had no side effects from that. Now, five years down the way, who knows? But I, I could get hit by a, a bus three days from now. So I, I have made the decision to get vaccinated. I am comfortable with that decision. At the same time, I think decisions on vaccinations are individual choices. And if for whatever reason you decide that you are not comfortable getting the vaccine, I I think that you should have the right to make that choice. Now, and I understand there's some people who don't agree with that. I also think that employers... You know, have certain rights with regard to, you know, their workplaces and especially in the healthcare area where you're going to be working around people who might have compromised immune systems and all. I think it is reasonable for employers, particularly in that that broad umbrella of health care to say, you know, we, we want you to get vaccinated. And if you as an employee choose not to get vaccinated, well, that that's your right as well. But then the response would be, okay, you know, go go find some other place to work. That that's that's sort of how I come down on this. Now, one of the things that Joe Biden has rolled out is this notion that in an effort to try to get more vax people vaccinated and to overcome vaccine hesitancy, which is what they call it, they are sending people door to door into different communities trying to encourage people to get vaccinated. Now, there's all sorts of, if you look at the numbers, what you find is there are a disproportionate number of people of color, whether it's blacks or Hispanics, a disproportionate number of those individuals have not been vaccinated. Again, just looking at the overall statistics and nobody has a real good theory as to why this is maybe you know people in in these various groups and i don't mean to stereotype but the, the thinking is okay maybe some of these people are are not trusting of government initiatives maybe there's misinformation that's out there in any event so the idea is going door to door particularly in some of these these communities that don't have high vaccination levels you can dispel some of the concerns etc there are some people who believe, oh, this this is just this is like the Gestapo going door to door. I don't buy into that. I mean, I have no trouble. I have no trouble with census workers going door to door and soliciting information that they use for the census. I have no trouble with people going out and, and doing outreach programs and saying, hey, you know, have you heard about these vaccines? Have you had an opportunity? If you're interested, we can provide you with the opportunity to do that. I, I think that's perfectly legitimate. But. There is a limit to that, and that is only going to take you so far. And it's why, and I'm looking at a story in the New York Times today, I'm looking at a story at the L.A. Times, there, there's all these editorials that are being written there, which says that, okay, you know, targeting people who are unvaccinated to do this door-to-door stuff, that's good, but there's going to be a limit to that. And we perhaps need to go farther, including mandating vaccines. For example, the city of San Francisco now mandates that all city employees, not just those who work in the healthcare field, so not just those who, who might be, you know, dealing with, again, compromised patients and stuff, but all city employees must, in fact, be vaccinated. And there's a push to expand this. And this is why you have the President of the United States saying, well, I'm not in favor of federal vaccine requirements, but if localities decided that they would want to do that, 
Well, that, that might be in their interest. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, now this is coming from somebody who is not an anti-vaccine guy who got vaccinated. Got vaccinated. Have no trouble with it. And candidly, I don't believe a lot of the, the concerns that are out there. But that's okay. People have the right to make their decisions. My question to you is, if this door-to-door outreach doesn't work if it's not getting us to the numbers where we need to get do we need to step it up do we need to start having local government saying all right if you're if you're a public employee you're going to have to get a vaccine be vaccinated if you work for a company that that's how they do it in milwaukee if you work for a company that has contracts with the city of milwaukee you're going to have to get vaccinated all right should we be willing to go to that next step 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line for me that's a bridge too far but what do you think welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this this continues to be incredibly divisive. And I, and look, I I acknowledge that I, I've kind of carved out a middle ground on this. You can argue, hey Jeff, you're the guy that has been vaccinated, so you obviously feel they're safe. Um, you encouraged your wife to get vaccinated. You know, you wouldn't do anything to expose her to harm. And, and so you know, but now. So you, you've done that, but now you're saying that you don't think other people should be forced to get vaccinated. And I, I guess I believe that that's a, a perfectly consistent sort of attitude to take. I have no trouble, like I said a minute ago, with people going door to door, and especially in the areas where, for whatever reason, there's there's a much greater vaccine hesitancy. And maybe it's because maybe it's because people are hesitant to get the vaccine. Maybe it's because they don't know about it. Maybe it's because they don't have the opportunities, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. I have no problem with people going door to door and saying, hey, you know, have you been vaccinated? Would you like to get vaccinated in? We, we can arrange it for you. Now, it's that next step, though. It's the compulsion saying, hey, if you live, you work for the city of San Francisco, you have to get vaccinated. That's where I think it goes too far. Give people the information, encourage them to get vaccinated. That's fine with me. It's the mandates, especially out of the health field. And mandates coming from government that I think is a problem. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to, um, we've got Adam in uh, Brookfield. Hi, Adam. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to give you a forward statement. I think you know where I'm going with this. If you want me to expand on it, I'd be happy to. My statement is, my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. Let me... Words that free- well, that, you heard that phrase. Right, well, sure, that, that comes in the abortion discussion. But let, let me, as long as Correct. I've got you, and, and I understand exactly where you're coming from, Adam. Let me, right now, we we require, for example, the, the measles and the mumps and the rubella vaccine for kids to, to go to schools unless they've got an exemption. Is, is, this, is this fundamentally different than that? I think it is. I can't justify my comment, but I think it is different uh i've been vaccinated so i I don't really care what other people do if they haven't and they get the crud and they died too bad so sad on them why does why do you have to get it if you if 
Right. You're taking the, the risk. Vaccine yeah. works. You sh- yeah, well, if you have, if the vaccine works, why force it on people that don't want to take it? It's up to them if they want to die or not. We get sick. Well, no, th- I mean that that at, at some point in time, I wouldn't have quite said it like you just did, Adam. But but it, but at some point in time, there is a measure of individual responsibility that's out there. And if if you make the decision for whatever reasons that you think the the risks of getting vaccinated outweighs the benefits of getting vaccinated, and you're willing to say, and and look, and it's true, I. You're talking to somebody. I had COVID. I mean, I had a, thankfully, I had a very mild case of COVID last November. And for me, it was no worse than a mild cold. Now, I hate to say that because I know that there's a lot of people, including people I know, who ended up in the hospital for a couple of days because they didn't get a mild case of COVID. But I mean, I understand and appreciate the argument that a lot of people make that say that, hey, for the vast majority of people, you get COVID. You get sick, you recover, and, and then you go on with, with life, and you've got those antibodies that are there. So, I, I mean, I understand that, but there is there is a very, you know, huge downside that's out there as, as well. But I do, I mean, I understand the argument that at some point in time, you, you there, there's an assumption of risk factor, and it... If if people decide that they're not going to get vaccinated and they end up getting COVID, they're going to have to figure out a way to live with the consequences of that. 855-616-1620. We're back in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Steve in Stone Lake. Hi, Steve. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Hey, let, let me I ask you, are you, are you, are you in Stone Lake? Are you calling from Stone Lake? I am. Okay, Stone, we're talking about the Stone Lake in, in Washburn County, right? Yep, exactly. Okay, which for people who don't know, that that's about as far north, it, it's almost as far northwest as you can get. So are you listening on the Internet, or, or, or does our signal come in out there? Uh, internet. Got it. Okay, great. Well, welcome to the show. I just, yeah. I, we don't get many calls from Stone Lake. <laughs> All right. What do you think, pal? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? No, so I, 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 I've been vaccinated. I've got no issues being vaccinated. I think it's a safe vaccine. Um, I've, uh, I, I'm very familiar with the Operation Warp Speed and how the vaccine was developed. Right. So I feel very comfortable on it. Um, in addition to um, I also know that it was approved on an emergency basis. Right. So it wasn't actually approved. I mean, it was approved through the FDA, but on an emergency order. Um, therefore, because of that, I think that people should be given the opportunity and the right to decide whether or not they can be vac- vaccinated. However, the caveat to that is as soon as it gets formally approved, it doesn't matter. People, it it should be mandatory that people get vaccinated. So I'm sorry. You think it should be? You think once once it goes to that once it goes from the what it is now to the to full approval, then you think everybody should have to be vaccinated? Correct. Yes, I think right now we're in a we're in a very interesting uh, position because it, it's it is being distributed on an emergency order. But you know, once it gets through the approval process, like you know. Uh, measles and mumps, etc. I think that uh, it should be a mandatory vaccination for you know, kids going to school and, and etc. Steve, one of the arguments I hear a lot from people is that the part from people who haven't been vaccinated is the, exactly the point you just make. They say, "Well, it, it's 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 here on an emergency thing. This hasn't been formally approved." I wonder. 
whether the, the people that are making that argument are, are really serious about it. By that, I mean, I, I'm not sure that for folks who've decided not to get vaccinated, that the status of of the vaccinations, um, the classification by the FDA really makes any difference. And that is, by that, I mean, I'm not sure if, if they change it to the fully accepted category, that that's going to make people less reluctant to get it who haven't gotten it already. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. And, and, and that's why, you know, when it gets to that point, I mean, when, when it goes through the whole approval process, people really don't have a reason not to get vaccinated at that point in time. Um, I, you know, I, I think they lose, in my opinion, mm-hmm. I really do think they lose that argument. Good enough. Thanks for the call, Steve. I appreciate it. From Washburn County. Washburn is in the extreme northwest part of the state. See, here's you know, here's the problem with with mandatory vaccines in cases like this. You, your people just aren't going to do it. I mean that that's the part that it, that is part of of the real world sort of problem that that's out there. People just aren't going to do it. There is going to be a certain percentage of, of people. And it's going to vary from state to state. It's going to vary from community to community. And I understand there's some people who like to who like to play politics with this. You know, it, it one of the things that makes my head explode, and I, I read, you know, all these national papers and stuff, is, is you have people, particularly in the left, who want to portray people on the right as being, oh, oh, these are just Neanderthals. These are people that aren't getting vaccinated. Well, that that ignores a lot of the reality because, like I say, a lot of the people, if you look at the the, the high levels of lack of vaccination. It comes from, in many cases, um, various minority communities for whatever reason that's out there. It, it also breaks down based on age. And we've talked about this before. You have people in that 18 to 30 year age bracket who've just decided they don't want to get vaccinated. So it's is there some element of politics to it? Yeah, I guess I can see that. But it, it's really it's a lot broader than that. And so my question is, if you make it mandatory and you've got this huge section of 25-year-olds who, who don't want to get it, what are you going to do to them? I mean, how are you going to require that? That's why I think the, the informational approach continues to be the best, understanding that there's limitations. And I do agree with one of our other earlier callers who said, look, at some point in time, there is this degree of assumption of the risk that's out there, meaning if you make the decision not to get vaccinated, you're going to have to live with the consequences and the greater likelihood that you may, in fact, be sick. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm looking at this this big blob of rain that's coming through our area. And, and Paul Joseph, who used to be the meteorologist, the chief meteorologist on today's TMJ4, back when we shared a corporate identity. But years and years ago, Paul would always get upset when he heard those of us on the radio who weren't meteorologists who would interpret the radar. We'd always get these these nasty, I don't uh, nasty is not the right way, terse terse emails telling those of us who did not go to school and study and become meteorologists don't interpret the radar to which that you might not find this to be a surprise that just inspired me to do it even more because when i'm looking at a radar screen and i see big blobs of green or yellow or red it's you know you don't need degrees to interpret and say hey, it looks like some big rain is coming into the area in this particular case um, I, I know that they're saying five or five thirty it looks 
like it's moving quick, more quickly than that. And I guess the, the good news is if you look at least this first batch of storms, I'm, I'm not seeing the huge reds. You're, you're seeing greens and you're seeing some yellow, which indicates like heavier rain, but not the, that big red or stuff like this. Now, you know, who knows what it's going to look like, you know, once it gets into the Milwaukee area and things like that. And I'm sure there'll be pockets of this. But if you are going down to the Deer District, you, you do kind of want to be prepared. I think maybe the best case scenario would be if this stuff moves a little, if it's going to hit, if it moves a little bit quicker and gets through, before um, before people start getting off of work and things like that. Our John McCurry is going to be down at the Deer District as he's been before, you know, broadcasting. And I think it's it's such a cool experience, and I hope the weather doesn't provide an impediment. Like I say, we're looking at big batch of rain that, that's moving, but it appears to be moving relatively quickly, although it's a big batch of rain. So keep it tuned all afternoon to WTMJ, and I hope I'm not offending any would-be meteorologists out there by interpreting the radar. It's just, I look at it, and I see a big blob of green and yellow, and it tells me it's probably going to rain like heck sometime soon. Last night, my wife and I went out to, to dinner, and we were speaking to our server, Name is Ben. Nice guy. And this is one of the regular places we go. And um, working in, in a restaurant, being a being a server, he's a great server. It, it's it's like a part time gig. He does it a couple nights a, a week, and he's he's got a he's got a full time you know day job. And he was telling us about you know what that day job is and things like that. And I was asking some questions, and as it turns out, he works in human resources for for a for a business, um, actually a pretty well known business, and. His offices are in downtown Milwaukee, but he, he's been working at home for over a year now. So, you know, and, and I said, well, you know, what's what's the plan? Is there a plan to, to go back to work? And he was saying, well, what they're talking about is that by September 1st, they want the, the, the plan is that they will bring employees back maybe two days a week. But as far as he knows, there's no permanent plan to bring workers back five days a week. Uh, and he said he thinks that, that for him, the, the new normal is probably going to be like three days of remote work, two days in, in the office. I have another friend who's an attorney, works at a very, very large company downtown. They have been working remotely since since again March or April of, of last year. And I just saw him the other day and he was telling me as far as he knows, there there's there's no plan right now to bring, you know, people back on on a daily basis. He said there there's just he said it's the the new normal is going to be, you know, we're we're going to continue to work remotely. And I said, How do you feel about that? And he said, Well it was a little awkward, I think, for the first, you know, few weeks, but you know, now that this is the new normal, he's extremely comfortable with that. Now, where I work, we uh, for the on air people you know, we, we, we've been in. I mean, I've been coming in on a daily basis to do the show with a couple minor exceptions. The, um, the people behind the scenes, the non-on-air people, um, have, we're just starting the process of, of getting people back. Originally it was two days a week. Now I think it's up to four days a week, but there's some people who are still working at home and probably will be for the, the next several months. So companies and businesses all over are kind of wrestling with this. Well, there, that's a kind of a long lead in to one of the realities that's out there. I'm looking at a story in the Wall Street Journal. What employers are finding is that people like working at home. 
And one of the things that they are seeing is that when they try to bring people back to the office after they've been working at home for a while, what they find is that the number of people who who are, have been working at home who are told that, hey, you you, you got to come in, they're saying, hell no, we're not going to go. Here's the story in the Wall Street Journal, the lead-in. More U.S. workers are quitting their jobs at any time in the late, at least the last two decades. And they look at April, the, the share of U.S. workers leaving their jobs was 2.7%. That's a jump of from 1.6% a year earlier. It's the highest level since 2000. And, and what they're saying is going on here is that, first of all, you know, people being at home during the pandemic has kind of given people uh, a, an idea that, you know, that the job market is stuff. Maybe, maybe we should start poking around and looking for things. But the other thing that they're finding is for a lot of folks, they like working at home. They, they consider that to be a, a huge benefit. And while they might not object to going back to work for a day or two here or there, they want to keep working at home. And if their employer won't give them that option, they're going to find an employer who will. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. If you have been working at home or not working at home, all right, if you've been working at home, would you like to continue to stay at home? And if and when your employer says it's time to come back, might that cause you to look somewhere else for a job. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I think the fact that there's so many employers that are out there that are now hiring for, for whatever reasons, there's so many jobs that are out there, it's giving employees more and more power. And one of the things that they're talking about is, hey, we don't want to go back to the office. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you have been working at home, do you want to continue to work at home? We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I think there's some, there are some occupations that I, I don't think anybody can argue that being in person is better than being remote. I mean, I have a text that makes that point. Jeff, I heard this nickname, the year of the resignation. I'm a teacher. I would much rather be in the classroom than teach online. And, and I think that that's an ex, that that is one of these examples where remote learning. The online instruction just is a is a poor it's a poor second choice to like in person stuff. But at the same time, that that's that's teaching. That's not necessarily hey your your insurance you know your your processing insurance claims or you're doing medical transcribing or you're uh, you're you're in sales. I mean, is there a need to be in the office every day? But more importantly, what we're seeing is I think a lot of people have started to enjoy the idea that they. I don't know. Some days they they can they don't have to get out of their pajamas, or they they don't have to you know make a commute and drive through rush hour traffic to go sit at a desk. And I think more and more businesses are going to have to figure out ways to to I think accommodate those employees, or those employees are going to leave. Now, you know, th- then there's always that risk. You know, are you going to go somewhere else? But I think that the workplace is changing dramatically. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Scott in South Milwaukee. Hi, Scott. You're on WTMJ. 
Um, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my phone call. Um, yes, yeah, on, on this topic, the because the, I work in like the IT systems administration field, so I can I can work wherever I have an internet connection, and I'm just as productive anywhere right. in the globe. So, so, right? if, if, so, so if I if I'm wise, having problems with my computer, for example, I, I call you up and you know you, if, you know if we work for the same company, you you have you have access to my computer. You can get in and do the stuff you want it, that needs to be done, and it doesn't matter where I am, and it doesn't matter where you are. So you can do it from anywhere. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. So so uh, yeah. So the, the company who I work for probably about three four weeks ago. Um, the CEO, whatever, sent out an announcement. Sent out an announcement, whatever that after Labor Day that we're that we're going to a, a flexible work schedule. And the flexible of the work schedule is is based on the arrangements, whatever that you make with your your manager, whatever. Right. So what my manager and I spoke spoken about, whatever as a team we've spoken about, is that we want to is that we're all going to come in like two days a week, all on the same day. For, for collaboration purposes and problem share, problem solving and, and that type of stuff. And mm-hmm. then the other three days a week, if you want to come in, you can come in. If you want to work from home, you can you can continue to work from home. So like in, in so in a couple of weeks, we have a new employee starting. Whoever, so I'm going to go in. So I'm going to go in for the full week right. to train her and get, to train her and, and get her up to speed. So it's really, I mean, it's on a case by case whatever basis. I mean, which which I have. Which I have no problem with. I mean, because I, I don't. I, don't, I mean, I've gone to the office right. a couple of times over the past six weeks or so, and I mean, it. I mean, if it actually feels good to get out of the house. Yeah, well, sure. If on the other hand, Scott, if your boss had said, "Okay, we're we're going back full time. We, you know, we we we've tried this, and for whatever reasons, I, I want more collaboration or productivity or whatever. So we're going back to the way it was before March of 2020. We want you here, you know, um, from from 8:30 until five Monday through Friday. Would would you have? Would that have caused you perhaps to? I mean, say maybe I want to try to find something else, or wasn't that really a voting issue for you? It, for me, it would. That's not a. That wouldn't have been a voting issue because I work close enough. Because I live close enough to where I work. Right. We're going into the office. It's a fifteen minute drive, and it's not that big of a deal. And I don't have to. I'm right. not driving on the interstate or anything, anything like that. So to me, it's not not that big of a deal. Got it. Okay, thanks for calling. I appreciate. It. Well, and that's see that that's sort of the balancing that's out there. I I you know. The, and it's a question of productivity and it's a question of collaboration and and i i understand that at the same time see i think there's there's huge opportunities here for for cost savings on on the part of of companies now i if you if you own a business that has three floors in some you're you're renting three floors of of space in some expensive like downtown high rise downtown milwaukee downtown chicago downtown wherever and you sit there and you say okay well you know i still want to have offices but maybe i i don't need all three floors maybe what we can do is when the opportunity presents itself we can go down to, to one floor now i have some very good friends who deal in commercial real estate and i know they don't, <laughs> they don't like to hear me talk about that but that that's i think that's one of the realities that, that's out there I think this is also, and I appreciate the text we got earlier from the person saying this is the year of the resignation. It is. I think that there's a lot of people who are challenging some of the conventional stuff, saying just because we've always done this doesn't mean, mean that we, we have to continue to do it this way in the future. And while there's all sorts of, of values of having everybody together you know, every day, 
does does that outweigh the the convenience, the cost savings, all these other things by saying, okay, maybe you can get by with one or two days a week or one or two days a month or whatever. It's it's changing. More and more employees are, are voting with their feet, and it's easier now because, uh, again, there's employers who are looking for people in all sorts of different industries that are out there. And I get some texts from people who are, you know, I mean, look, I, I mean, I understand if you're if you're in somebody was said that, that she cleans houses, if you clean houses for a living, I, I understand you're not going to be able to work remotely. You're you're going to have to go and, and do that stuff. If you're in HVAC and you're the guy that goes out and fixes people's furnaces when they die, die. I mean, right. I understand you're not going to be able to work remotely. On the other hand, for, you know, lots of different industries, including the IT industry, like Scott was talking about, you, you've got some different choices. I think the workforce is going to look materially different for five years from now, and I think there's going to be a lot more people who are going to be under that hybrid model. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Hey, coming up right after the news, Joe Biden speaks. I can't believe he seriously means what he's saying. I will explain and we will discuss. A little bit of a public service sort of thing. Here's the deal. If if you have a passport now, my advice is check it and see when it expires. I, I bring this up because um, a, a good friend of ours, we've got this trip to Europe, this river cruise to uh, Normandy that's coming up um, early September. And it was interesting because just the other day, a very good friend of my wife and I came up and said, hey, we, we've decided to, to go on this. And there's still some availability, so we're, we're jumping on it. I said, the only problem is, he said, I let our passports expire. And we applied for one like three months ago and it's still in the processing phase. And, and, you know, he, he was telling me about how he was on the phone for several hours and ultimately got through and they're, they're going to be able to get their passports renewed in time to take the trip. And it, it's great, but it's been kind of a hassle factor. Here's the deal. Pre pandemic, um, if you needed a passport, generally speaking, six to eight weeks for regular applications, two to three weeks for expedited applications. You know, you have to pay extra for that. So, but that, that was it. You, you could get this done. Now, the turnaround time for a standard passport application, they're saying it's at least 18 weeks. 18 weeks. So that's that's more than four months with 12 weeks for processing and six weeks for mailing. Even an expedited application can take up to 12 weeks. I, I bring this up only because I think sometimes people just put their passports in their drawer and, and, and forget about them. And then, hey, I'm planning to do this trip or that trip or whatever might be worth just kind of digging the passport out, looking and seeing when it expires. And if there's any chance at all that you might be doing some traveling sometime soon, uh, get on it and get it renewed because you don't want to get caught in this particular queue that's going to take you four plus months to get it renewed. All right. When we come back, I hear him talking. He's not coming in. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I just love the optimism from John McCure. Because I, 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 I ran it, John... John has been broadcasting from the Deer District, you know, when when stuff is going on there, and he's on his way out. And I said, boy, I'm kind of looking at this radar. How's that going to be? So, oh, we're at, at 5, 5.30. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll be done with a good chunk of the show. And I said, well, I certainly hope you are 
hope you are right. But regardless, I think it's it's going to be spectacular down there. And and if this rain does hit, my hope, like I say, is it is it moves through relatively quickly, and then we do get that window if we're going to get some more rain later on. But so people can you know congregate down there during the course of the game because it it is. It is great for the community to see so many people there, and it really is a showcase for Milwaukee on, on national TV to see so many people down there. And John McCure is going to be bringing you all the excitement, so be sure to tune in there. All right, it's everything old is new again. If you've been following national politics, you know that one of the the latest the, the latest buzz phrase, buzz phrases that you hear from from the left is, is voter suppression. It's like Jim Crow. Okay, Jim Crow, of course, refers to a, a number of the laws that you found in the South that would limit the ability of uh, blacks, in particular, to vote. The, the the whole idea of literacy tests and things like that. And that that that's the, the Jim Crow segregation days. And this is now we we have picked that term up. And you know, Joe Biden, for example, is coming out giving these impassioned speeches uh, about the 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 21st century Jim Crow assault is real uh, this is what he said yesterday we're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War and it's not hyperbole the Confederates back then never breached the Capitol as insurrectionists did on the the sixth and and then he's you know and of course he's referring to one of the latest stunts that's being pulled and that is the fact that you have a number of Democrats in Texas, members of the state assembly, who decided to to pull a Wisconsin. Remember back in Act 10, you had a number of Democrats, state senators, who bailed, fled the state in an effort to stop the state from being able to act on Act 10. And remember, they went to Illinois, they, they fled so that you couldn't have a quorum. Uh, th- that. At the end of the day, it didn't work out. They, they came back, Act 10 passed, and I think in most instances, Act 10 has been an incredible success. So anyhow, you've got these Democrats in the Texas State Senate who decided we're, we're going to do the same thing. But instead of fleeing to Illinois, they got on a plane and they, they flew to Washington, D.C. And now they're they're making the rounds of Congress and they're trying to raise money based on this. And here we're standing against those evil Republicans who are trying to suppress the rights of minorities to vote and all these things. And they're raising money and they've got the president talking about Jim Crow and all this type of stuff. And at the end of the day, it, it's not going to work either because unless they're not going to go back to Texas unless they're going to stay gone. Well, the the reality of this is that sooner or later you you got to go back, and the Republicans hold overwhelming majorities, and they're not going to back off on this, and so they're they're going to do what they're going to do. So this is all a, a, it's a stunt, it's political grandstanding. It's not going to accomplish anything at the end of the day. Just like the the move by the Democrats in Wisconsin ten years ago didn't accomplish anything. I would also argue that it is extremely anti-democratic. I mean, we we elect people to make laws, and there are majorities and there are minorities, and that I'm talking about like the numbers of, of votes. And if you're in a situation where you're in the minority, all right, the, the whole notion that you're just going to flee the state to try to thwart the will of the majority, I mean, I, I find it to be uh, offensive. If you, you know, th- that's that's what we have elections. And I'm the guy that always says elections have consequences. So if Republicans in Texas do something 
that you don't like, well, you can either flee to try to block it in the first place, or you can vote against it, you can argue against it, and then you can run against it two years from now or a year from now or whatever. The the idea of fleeing the state to try to block the process, it's ineffectual, it's grandstanding, it's a stunt, and like I say, I think it's anti-democratic. But there's a larger issue that's out there, and it starts with the rhetoric from the president, and it carries on through the rhetoric of lots of people that the, these voting reforms, the, these things that these evil Republicans are doing, it's Jim Crow. It's designed to be voter suppression. And we, we did this a few weeks ago in Georgia when there was all the, the there was the big flap about, okay, this is what the Republicans are doing in Georgia, and this is so terrible, and we're moving the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, which, by the way, the ratings aren't in yet, but the preliminary numbers show that this might be the least watched All-Star Game of all time. But we don't, we don't have the final numbers. And I think part of it is because some people are just turned off to the politics. But anyhow, if, if you look at what they did in Georgia, it was anything but voter suppression. And some of the changes that they made in Georgia still make it easier to vote in Georgia than it is to vote in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware or New York, where the commissioner of Major League Baseball is from. So for these Democrats who are fleeing Texas, I, I thought it was real interesting to figure out, OK, what, what is what is in this bill that is so terrible? What is what is so awful about this and and what longstanding precedents are being reversed and the Wall Street Journal has a real interesting art- article that, that breaks this down. See, here's what happened. Because of the pandemic, because of COVID, you had some courts in Texas and in Wisconsin, too, that, that decided that they were going to authorize temporary changes in voting laws. And see, and that's what happened in, that's what happened in Texas. Um, in one particular county, for example, Harris County, you know, what, what election, election officials in Harris County did is they, they started to implement things that had never been done before. They started drive through voting and 24 hour voting. Right. And it's not like they'd ever done drive through voting before or 24 hour voting, but they did it using covid as a justification. The idea is we're telling everybody in Texas to stand six feet away. So we want to spread out the time that people can come to the polls. So this is what we're going to do. But we're doing it because of covid. Right. Well, all right. The legislature in Texas is now moving in to say, look, this is. This is not acceptable. This isn't the norm. This isn't going to be the standard. It was never the standard before COVID, and it's not going to be the standard now. So, I mean, here's what the legislature did. It essentially said, okay, we're going to pass laws reverting things back to you know the status quo of, of 2019, 24-hour um, voting. Well, I mean, the argument is, hey, look, it's – is it unreasonable to think that if there's going to be mischief, it's more likely to happen at three in the morning than three in the afternoon? So the, the bill would say, OK, broad voting. All right. Six a.m. to 10 p.m. Six in the morning till 10 p.m. That That's when the polling place is going to be open. Well, is that. I don't know. Is, is that this terrible assault on democracy that instead of being open 24 hours, which I don't think there's too many polling places that are, you can vote on election day from 6 to 10. 
I, I, I mean, maybe you're appalled by that. I'm not. The idea of drive-through voting. I mean, okay, the concern with drive-through voting is you, you got five or six people in the car. What what happened to the sanctity of the ballot box and, and going up, you know, in the, the, the polling Again, you you go in, you you vote, you you go into the voting booth your, yourself. This is the idea that you can have six or seven people pull up in a car and everybody vote. Um, maybe you want to argue that that's a great thing, but I don't think it's unreasonable, and I certainly don't think it's Jim Crow to say that you know, we're not going to let you pull up with a car full of people like you were pulling up at a Sonic drive-through and order a bunch of of food. Um, in addition, what this law does is it actually expands the amount of time that places can be open for early voting. I, I bring this up simply because I, I'm looking at the outrage, I'm looking at the rhetoric that's out there, and it frankly doesn't match the, the reality of this stuff. We had things that were done in the name of COVID. They were temporary things which were done, and now you know they're being rolled back. That's not, in my opinion, Jim Crow. And somebody was saying yesterday, well, I don't like the aspects of one of these laws where they they say that people can't have water if they're waiting in line to vote. And there's, to my knowledge, there's no state that says you can't have water in line if you are waiting to vote. What some of these laws say is that third parties can't go up and give people stuff while they are waiting in line. And the idea is you don't want somebody with an NRA T-shirt or a, you know, pro-union T-shirt or a, you know, ban abortion T-shirt or a, you know, let's have abortions T-shirts. You don't want those people going up and giving people stuff in line. Here, do you want soda? Do you want sandwiches, etc.? None of these laws say that if you want to stand in line with a bottle of water, you can't bring your own bottle of water and do it. It just prevents third Third parties from going in and arguably trying to buy votes to get close to voters by, here, here's my T-shirt. This is what it says here. Would you like a soda? Would you like a roast beef? Which whatever. I, okay, you can agree or disagree with those different rules. But to describe them as Jim Crow or voter suppression or these huge unconstitutional attacks on the rights of this type of person or that type of person to be able to vote, I mean, give me a break. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There is a remarkable thing that that is going on, and I, I don't want it to be lost with all the other stuff that's going on, and that's that's what's happening on the island of Cuba. Now, ever since Fidel Castro took over Cuba, what, in the late 50s, 1960, whenever that was, I mean, you, you have had, you have had this island that has been under the iron rule of, of communist regimes where very little freedom existed and where dissent was not tolerated a- at all. And the Cuban people have suffered, and they've suffered greatly. Now, you know, the Cuban, the, the dictators blame the, the free world in general, and the United States in particular, for sanctions and freezing them out and things like that. But you are talking about in Cuba, one of the most repressive um, governments in in the world. 
Now, I understand that that lumps them in with places like North Korea and all that, but but they are one of the most, and say the most repressive. But there's been, you know, no no dissent which has been allowed. And what's been happening recently, and it started on Sunday, and it's been continuing, it's it's really remarkable. Now, it appears that finally the, the Cuban people are starting to rise up and say enough is, is enough. Uh, Cuba has been devastated by, by COVID-19. The economic conditions have been appalling for decades you have um now there, there's apparently widespread electrical shortages widespread power blackouts that are going on and you, you've got huge food services food um shortages so you've got humanitarian crises of all these different levels and finally you have people who are starting to rise up and say enough is enough and they are taking to the streets and this just it didn't happen in Cuba before because any sort of dissent had been met with okay you just disappear from the streets and then you just disappear in general so now i mean what's happening is is you're seeing the Cuban people start to rise up now in response the the dictator Miguel Diaz Canal his, his crackdown it's been really, really vicious. Cuban police and riot gear and military troops and power paramilitary groups have really been unleashed on civilians and actually on members of the press that are trying to chronicle these events. Now, part of the problem, though, is because everybody has cell phones and things of like. The, the, this can't go on in darkness when it, it could before, where Cuba, of course, controlled all the, the media and things like that. But you're starting to see these images that are coming forward. Now, I think it is incumbent on the Biden administration to do something to help the the troubled the troubled and persecuted people of, of Cuba. Now, unfortunately, the official policy has been: if you come from the United States to the United States, if you flee, um, we're we're not going to we're not going to allow you to come. We're we're not going to you know treat this as a humanitarian thing. You know, do not. You know, do not come, do not show up. Now, I, I don't think people should encourage folks to, like, get in the water and to try to, to do, get to, for example, South Florida via boat because that's dangerous. But at the same time, I think the Biden administration needs to be encouraging these people who are finally standing up against this repressive regime. I mean, are we going to stand for freedom in this world or are we not going to stand for freedom in this world? And you're starting to see... I, again, some amazing stuff going on in Cuba. And yeah, I, I think in every way possible, the United States should support that and support the people who are trying to finally bring some democracy to that embattled country. Is that too much to ask? Our very own John McCure is down in the Deer District. When we come back, we're going to hear what is on his mind, what he's got lined up for Wisconsin's Afternoon News, setting the stage and all those things. It's radio you do not want to miss. We'll be back to talk to John in just a moment.